Chapter One, Room Eleven. I could never do the job you do," she said to me. This from a graveyard shift ER nurse who had seen more gunshot wounds and screaming injured babies than Tupperware parties. I looked at this earnest, pretty, slightly butched-out woman like she was maybe kidding. You save lives and deal with death constantly," I said. "That's not for sissies either." She seemed to appreciate the sissy reference a bit too much, but clearly got my drift. But you get out of bed to come here at four a.m. and go alone into a room with a psychotic inside who you've never even met, and you save their lives too in your way, at least for a while. That takes someone stronger than me. I smiled at her. She'd never said three words to me. Now that we've established our mutual admiration, I said, "Where's the room in question tonight?" She smiled back and handed me the chart for good old room eleven, motioning to it and the guard sitting outside with wry familiarity. Every ER has a room that's best for their psych cases, due to maximum visibility from the nursing station and greatest distance from the exits. I went about my work while musing existentially about who the fuck I really am, as is often the case. What does it say about me that the jobs that fit me best are always weird jobs? I'm an educated person and could manage a conventional and respectable job if I wanted one, except that I'd have to hang myself. But therein lies my tale, because those who need me most are the ones who are about to off themselves, others. Or just need extensive directions back to the planet. It's important in their universe and the lives of other weird jobbers like me who team up to deal with this type of mayhem. But you can't just bring it up at a party when you want to impress people and maybe get laid. First of all, they never heard of your job before, let alone that there's anything cool about it. And then there's trying to describe it, or why any sane and non-masochistic human would want to do it. It's just not ever a successful conversation, in the Dale Carnegie sense, or even the "I'm a bad boy, so let's fuck" sense. It's an exercise in futility. I've dealt with this harsh reality through everything from saying I'm a college professor to claiming I run a bait and tackle store. The thing is, there are some really fabulous aspects of my job for me, and my fellow weird jobbers are generally impressed with my shit. But you have to know a thing or two about weird jobbers to understand that. People who wind up getting into a groove in lines of work like mine often have certain qualities in common. The term adrenaline junkie has a sleazy connotation, but there are simply those who thrive on certain kinds of intensity. My uncelebrated brothers and sisters have this tendency in their makeup. We are folks who bore easily, not due to stupidity, but because of an ingrained distaste for the mundane. This feeling of affiliation is always there with the sharper ER nurses and the more robust and good-humored ambulance crews. Occasionally, even one of the doctors will show a little humanity or some fresh gallows humor. As I sat down and got settled in one of the many places I'm not supposed to sit, Susan the RN came back to give me a footnote. There's a family member at bedside. He says he's her dad. She was usually okay with taking people's word about that sort of thing. Is there anything really wrong with that picture? I asked. You'll see, she said, with that grin she got when she was being understated about something really fucked up and unfun. 
I reviewed the chart of this 35-year-old schizophrenic crackhead who had taken her whole 30-day supply of all three of her psych meds with a one-half-gallon bottle of wine. There were numerous nursing notes about her father who was at her bedside most of the time. Most of the nurses had found an understated way of saying that he looked like a spaced-out street person who needed to be evaluated himself. My favorite old burnout nurse supervisor simply had noted, shoeless, malodorous family member at bedside. The rest of the notes were about the patient herself, who was talking back to the voices in her head who were commanding her to kill herself. She herself showed extensive signs of homelessness in terms of her appearance and physical condition. No matter what the hour or my own mental status might be, sooner or later I had to close the chart and go see the circus firsthand. I bit the bullet, grabbed my clipboard, and sauntered unhurriedly toward room 11.